Hey, welcome to the SBC History Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Holmes, and I'm here again this time with some more old audio. I hope you enjoyed uh, last week from R.G. Lee, a sermon he preached at the 1959 Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference. If not, you can go back and listen to that. I think you'd really enjoy it. Uh, Today, I have a message brought by Dr. Baker James Cawthon. Dr. Cawthon was the president of the International Mission Board, then it was called the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention from 1954 to 1979. While he was doing that, uh, missionaries increased on the field from over 900 to near 3,000. The budget increased from 6 million to 76 million. They reached 60 more countries. Uh, the biography of his, life, of his life is called The Apostle of Advance. Under him, the Foreign Mission Board saw extraordinary growth. And he brought this message entitled, Don't Forget, from the Gospel of Matthew, at Falls Creek Baptist Assembly in the 1960s. This was not uncommon for someone like him to speak there. Falls Creek is one of the largest or maybe the largest youth camp in the world. It still is. Um, There are hundreds of missionaries on the mission field through the IMB, even today, who first experienced a call to missions at False Creek. There's a special connection. But between the two, as an Oklahoma and myself, I'm very aware of that. And maybe you should be too. Maybe that's why Dr. Cawthon was there. I'm not sure. But regardless, I hope you'll enjoy this word today. There's a brief introduction that was given to him as this was later broadcast over the radio, and then his sermon. Enjoy it. Our preacher, for those of you who may be listening on the radio that's being broadcast, uh, rebroadcast following day at El Reno and the Miami station, Dr. Baker James Cawthon, the executive secretary treasurer for the Southern Baptist Foreign Mission Board, is our preacher this week. It is one world. It is one gospel. It is one great commission, and you have one life. And where do you fit in? What does Jesus Christ want you to do? We talk about relating the gospel. The time has come in the history of Christianity when either we will relate this gospel to all the wide world, or we shall miss the meaning of our following Jesus on the scale that he has intended. I read to you some verses from his experience as recorded in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them because they were distressed and scattered as sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers into his harvest. I'm speaking this morning on the subject Let us not forget. And I want to hold before you 
in these next few moments, one quarter of humanity, one fourth of the people upon the face of this earth, one fourth of the people for whom the heart of God goes out this day, one fourth of the people about whom when we say, am I my brother's keeper, we must include them too. One fourth of the people with whom today we have so little contact and yet so great a responsibility. Let us not forget, I'm speaking of that great land of China where there live more than 700 million people passing from time into eternity, people for whom God is concerned and people for whom we must have a concern. Let us not forget the great work which has been done in that land in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. For to it there came in an earlier day pioneer men and women of God who had in their hearts a burning conviction, a conviction that Jesus Christ had died for all and that there is no other name under heaven that is given among men wherein we must be saved. And consequently, they had left home and the claims that were upon them in their own native lands to come to China and tell the story of Jesus, yet coming not to find that there was a welcome awaiting, but rather to find that doors were closed to them and hostilities were abounding. With Mrs. Cawthon and my children, I lived in a city in China in the southwest called Guilin. There was a large church in that city. In its backyard, there stood a marker to commemorate the coming of the first missionary a good many years ago. He had come up the river all the way from the coastal city and there had sought to preach Jesus in this city called Guilin. But what had they done upon his preaching? They had risen in opposition. They had burned his boat in which he came, and they drove him out of the city. And yet the gospel could not be driven away, for back again and again and again it came. And in the days of wartime China, in that city, we saw night by night the throngs of people as they gathered there in that building to hear the name of Jesus proclaimed. The pioneers came. They did their work. They bore heavy burdens. They were not people looking for an easy place. Let me ask this morning, what kind of place are we looking for? Do you interpret the call of God only in terms of the place that has the most adequate building, the place that has the most comfortable apportionments, the place that has the most adequate staff, the place that maybe has the best remuneration? What kind of place do you consider represents the call of God? It may be that some ought to listen this morning, even as the pioneers have listened, and realize that the call of God may come in the midst of surroundings where there are not people to come and say, we herald your coming and we welcome you with great hospitality. 
but just their need cries out, and they say by their need, oh, we are people for whom Christ died, and though our eyes may be blinded and our ears may be deafened, and though we know not how to express it, there cries out in our hearts, oh, God, have mercy upon us. That came to pioneers. Let us not forget. Let us not forget how that work has borne fruitage. I shall never be able to get away from the thrill of what I saw when I came to China. I can remember even now as I came down into that southern city called Hong Kong. And it was my privilege to lead some days of revival meetings among the young people of that city in the schools and the churches. They're young people just like you. Oh, if you could be among them, you would find how much alike you and they that all are. And I recall being in those schools, a great school for boys and a great school for girls, and how the Lord Jesus seemed to reach out and got hold of the hearts of those young people. And I sat one night and I wept as I saw the pastor baptize 121 Chinese young people who had walked out to say, I want Jesus Christ as my Savior. What I was witnessing was merely the fruitage of the gospel of Jesus for their grown-up churches, strong and wonderful in their spirit, preaching the same gospel with the same longing and the same compassion. All up and down the land of China, here were these churches. I recall in the north, I came to live in a place where my wife was born, for her father and mother were missionaries there for 40 years. And it was on a Sunday morning. I went out to a little village there to preach to some humble, humble folk. And when we began to have fellowship with them, I said, have you had Christians long in this village? Oh no, they said, five years ago, there was not even one Christian here. But they brought a tent and used a tent for one week to tell the story of Jesus. And one woman believed on Christ. And when this one woman believed on Christ and tore down her household gods and put away her idols, her friends thought very strangely of her. But she set herself to serve the Lord. And she prayed and she witnessed and she opened a home and said, come here and let us worship God. And the people began to come. And after a while, her husband became a believer. After a while, her son became a believer. And God called him to preach. And then the people in the village began to believe. And when I was there on that Sunday morning, I observed they had a church of 60 members organized and functioning for a great work had been done. All up and down the land of China, churches large and churches small, ringing out the gospel as a fruitage of this ministry. What shall I say about the hospitals that reached out their ministries of mercy? I can in my mind even now see those great doctors who could have remained in America and could have become wealthy men with their skill and ability. But they gave themselves to China. And I saw the people as they were blessed by their medical ministries. At this moment, my mind turns to one of those doctors. 
and I'm thinking of him, how as that man would go into his surgery, he went into it with a prayer burden on his heart, and he would witness to his patient, and God was using that man of medicine to do the opening of the hearts of people, as well as reaching into their broken and bruised and suffering bodies and performing skillful surgery of healing. Oh, if God ever speaks to you about dedicating your life to become a medical missionary, listen very closely. For you may find out God is saying, My son, my daughter, I'm pointing the way to you for a golden investment of your life in healing humanity's hurt. What shall I say about the schools? I've seen them from the kindergartens and the primary schools and the high schools and the great senior college that we called the University of Shanghai. And there these young people were gathered. And I saw those dedicated missionaries as they went in and out among those young people telling them the good things of Jesus Christ. I shall never forget a day in the University of Shanghai when they said, come and lead a revival meeting. And those young people listened. One by one they came for conferences, a Christian with a non-Christian student, and we would talk about Jesus until by and by that non-Christian student would say, I want him as my Savior. And then we would say, would you now for Jesus' sake walk out openly before all the student body and your faculty and let them know that you are unashamedly declaring yourself for Jesus. And there would come upon their faces a thoughtful look, for they knew what that would mean. And then they would say, yes, I will do it. And we saw them in that university assembly. Down these aisles they would come and stand to say, you may count on me as being a Christian. What does that say to you and to me this morning? It says to us, show your colors. Show your colors on that high school campus, on that college campus. Don't go around with your flag rolled up and in your pocket hoping nobody will ever asking, ask you to unfurl it. Show your colors. Be what you are. When the world surrounds you with all of its unbelief and all of its scorn and all of its criticism, bear this noblest of all the witnesses. Just stand there quietly and say, but I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus. Show your colors. All the fruitage of the gospel in the land of China. Let us not forget what the gospel has brought forth. And let us not forget out there the suffering of God's servants. For in those days in China, there was, as it were, a cloud upon the sky like the size of a man's hand, but it was growing rapidly into a darkening storm and soon became a raging tempest. And what was that storm? It was not the storm of a foreign invasion, for the foreign invader had been already defeated and thrown out, but it was a storm inside. It was a storm that said, we do not fear God, we have no place for God, and we regard man as being only a unit of production. It was symbolized by a hammer 
and by a sickle. It promised everything, and it gave so very, very little. And what it gave, it gave at the price of human values, of freedom and dignity and humanity, of those things that make a man stand tall and say, a man finds life living not in terms of a full rice bowl or a comfortable garment, but in terms of the dignity of human freedom and the values that were delivered by the hammer and the sickle were delivered at the price of these wonderful, glorious qualities of human freedom for which men have died across the ages. And thus it came upon the land of China, and with it the suffering I could never describe adequately. For it came upon God's servants, both those who stood among them as the missionaries and those who were there as their own Chinese leaders. I am thinking of the man whose name you know, Bill Wallace, and he said, I'll stay as long as I can do any good. But they came for him, for Bill's life was like a light shining, and that light had to go out. And they took Bill and put him in the communist prison. And day by day, for 53 days, he suffered. I know not how much he suffered, but when it was over, Bill Wallace lay dead, and they let missionary nurse Everly Hayes come and claim his broken body. And they took Bill Wallace out, and they laid him in the Christian cemetery. And those Chinese Christian friends raised over him a marker and wrote on it these words, For me to live is Christ. And my heart said to me, Yes, Bill, you've shown us all over again what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean climbing a ladder of one success after another until you get to be the pastor of the biggest church you can find in your area. Nor does it mean to be acclaimed the greatest of all who function in your particular capacity. It doesn't mean that. But here's what it means. Find your assignment in God's will for you, whatever that may be, wherever that may be, find your place in the will of God for you and give it all that you have, even the point of life itself. Listen, young people. If we have come in this day of 1969 to believe following Jesus is an enterprise to be undertaken and continued only when it is comfortable. We're alongside a way of the mark. For Jesus Christ calls you and me to take a cross and follow him. But I speak of the missionaries, uprooted and scattered like the leaves before the storm coming out of China, and only to say, what's my next assignment? and going into Taiwan, and going into Indonesia, and going into other places to begin all over again, not wailing, and crying, and lamenting, and pouting, and doubting, and retreating, but saying, give me my next battlefield. And on they went to raise high the banners of Jesus Christ. And young man, or young lady, if you find a door closed to you in Christian service, 
Don't become a pouter and a doubter and a retreater and a runner and a seller out. But look up and say, Lord, that door you closed to me. Now which one shall I knock upon that I may enter the one of thine appointment? Out there in China, those missionaries said, what's my next battlefield? But upon those glorious and faithful and humble Chinese servants, the pressures began to come. I'm thinking now of one, I shall call no names, but I'm thinking now of one, a glorious and wonderful man of God, brainwashed, imprisoned, suffering, given all kinds of terrible treatment, and this man having his university degree and having a degree from one of our finest American theological seminaries, but he paid a fearful price for just being true to Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of another, a man of great dignity, a man of great ability, a man somehow who impressed you as he stood before you by the qualities inside. Oh, this man of stature, I saw him as he said, I will do my duty as I feel God would have me do it. But it was a prison, and it was a release, and it was a prison again, and then it was death for him, but he continued in the line of duty. Listen, my friends, it's bad, all right, to suffer and to die, but let me tell you something that is infinitely worse than to suffer and to die in the line of your Christian duty. The thing that is worse is to turn your back and run and live the rest of your life saying, I'm a hireling, I fled because I was a hireling and I cared not for the sheep. And if God speaks to you in these days at False Creek, remember, he's speaking to a soldier. He's not speaking to somebody to sit in the shade and fan himself and make himself comfortable. He's speaking to a soldier, and he wants you to march out upon whatever field of battle, wherever it may be, for the glory of Jesus Christ. But let us not forget our continuing duty and privilege and responsibility to be sure the doors are closed, to be sure the churches are in the main clothes this morning, to be sure we can't send missionaries in, to be sure we cannot send money in, but what can we do first? We can love, or we can love. Now listen, young people, and you older people, let no political differences in this world inject our hearts full of heat for people. There may be grievous and terrible differences that separate governments one from the other. But when you look out yonder at the people, the people, the people, I am my brother's keeper. Let there be only love aflame in your heart and that love dominate you and inspire you and fit you. And again, there is a privilege and responsibility of making our hearts a burning altar of intercessory prayer. For there is no iron curtain that can shut out the mighty power of intercessory prayer. And you and I can reach over that curtain 
how we can pray for those people inside China today. We can pray for those Christian men and women, some of whom yet are enduring great suffering. We can pray for those who are bold to witness and those who are bold to stand true. Let us make our hearts altars of prayer for China. Listen, 5,000 of us here this morning. What if 5,000 people really joined our hearts in praying, Oh God, in your time, at the right time, in the right way, in God's own way, open those doors of China again. Oh, the God of the harvest who can raise up and pull down, who can open doors and close them firmly, God Almighty can change the course of the nations. Let us pray, God, that the day may come when the doors to China will open widely again. And in the meantime, let us get ready for what he wants us to do. For all up and down the borders of China, there live millions of Chinese people in other places to which we go, Hong Kong and Macau, Taiwan with all of its millions, and Malaysia with all of its millions, and wisely, we are getting ready a seasoned, trained, equipped corps of missionaries who can, when the doors swing open, march back into China and say, we've come because we love you. We've come in the name of Jesus. We've come to preach. We've come to teach. We've come to heal. We've come to do the work with you in the name of Jesus Christ this very morning. May I say to this audience of young people, some of you may minister inside China. Yes, you may first have to go to Taiwan and spend some years there doing some glorious missionary service as others are doing, or maybe Hong Kong, or maybe Malaysia. But one of these days in God's own good time, when that door swings widely open once again, it will be you, perhaps, who can go in and take up the glorious task for which others in the days gone by have given so very much. Then what shall I say that all of China speaks to our hearts this morning? It says to us, take a good look at your own Christian discipleship. What kind of a Christian are you? What kind of a Christian are you if to be a Christian in China where you could so easily have been born there to live your life as these others are doing? If you had been there and this had been your day in China, what would you do? Do like some who sent their Bibles back to a church and said, we don't want to be anymore a part of this. Is that what you would have done? Or would you have quietly and as wisely and as patiently and as really as God taught you how go on being faithful even though you might have to die, even though you might be dragged away to a jail or be sent away into a brainwashing or to a forced labor camp as some have done? What does it say to you? What kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian am I today? Are we people who are looking to be comfortable and to be pleased and we go to church 
and we sit there and say somehow I don't like it I'm going to quit it I'm going to go and find something I want to do and am pleased to do or do we sense the call to discipleship where we say this is my church it's my Lord's church I belong to my Lord I'm going to put my life in this thing and I'm going to bring whatever brain power whatever heart power into this church to make it as vital and as real and as powerful and as glorious as it can be listen young people don't live your lives on the negative I shall never forget a cartoon some years ago depicting the work of a certain political leader it was titled the life work and called his name and what was his life work there he was with a brick bat in his hand hurling his brick bats through the show windows destroying and damaging all together on the negative oh for the sake of the kingdom of God get off of the negative get off of the negative if there's something that deep in your soul grieves you make it known pray about it seek an affirmative way to express it and then address yourself with all your zeal to building the kingdom of God for Jesus meant just what he said upon this rock I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it when every government on the face of this earth has gone away into oblivion and others have arisen to take their places when our great exploits in science and technology have been so exceeded by the tomorrows that they will seem to be mere child's play yet the gospel of Jesus will go on and on and on and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be ministering around this world. It will go on because it is planted by Almighty God and this blood of Jesus Christ of which we sang washes us clean of our sins and makes us able to do the work of our Lord. God bless you, young people. China speaks to you. Let us not forget for Jesus' sake and the glory of his name. Let us stand.